When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tom Bernard Show, part three with... Andy Brand Bernard. Our special guest, Tim Pawlenty. And we'll be right back. We have one more segment with... Uh, Soon to be again, Governor. Do, they, do we still have to call you Governor Palenti? I've been called a lot worse, Tom. Well, you can call me Tim is great, but uh, some people do it as a courtesy, but certainly not expected. Like, would I, if I ran into Jesse, would I have to call him Governor Ventura? You would not have to. But you, <laughs> you would should. not have to. <laughs> it would be nice, uh, but, but certainly Probably in Minnesota, should. we're informal and people just call each other by their first names. All right. Yeah. Okay, so I'll call him Jim because that's his real first name. <laughs> we'll be right back. More with Tim Palenti right after this Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. It's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? uh, Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Walzer Automotive is a Minnesota family-owned business. It started in the 50s. It's grown by leaps and bounds, especially in the past few years, and they now have 23 dealerships spread across two states. The Walzer way includes upfront, no-haggle pricing on every single new and used vehicle they sell. If you change your mind, no problem. Check out Walzer's three-day return and 30-day exchange policy. I'm a customer, my family are customers, and many of my friends have bought cars from them. The Walzer way is really different, and I know you'll be pleasantly surprised. For great deals on new or used Acura, Audi, Buick, BMW, Chevrolet, Chrysler, Dodge, GMC, Honda, Hyundai, Jaguar, Jeep, Land Rover, Lexus, Mazda, Mercedes, Mini, Nissan, Porsche, Ram, Subaru, or Toyota, go to walzer.com, Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. 
We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Tim Pawlenty, our special guest. Andy's here. I'm here. We're keeping an eye on everybody and everything. That's all I know. <laughs> We're just trying to figure out. You know, it's really interesting to me is the fact that we, uh, you know, people ask me, what, what are you? And I said, well, I'm pretty centrist at this point because there are things that Democrats do and things that Republicans do, like Donald Trump did with the taxes. I just, to punish people or to teach them a lesson, why you would want to punish people that were not involved with that, I don't understand. I have no idea why he did that because it's costing people lots and lots of money. Mm -hmm. And I got to believe it's going to hurt the, the economy. It'll hurt home sales, that's for sure. Yeah, when you think about not being able to deduct uh, what we talked about earlier, state and local taxes uh, or total even deductions are now limited, it changes behavior. And so it you're does, basically yeah. encouraging some things and discouraging other things. And so why they did that, uh, particularly for states like Minnesota, I think is going to be very, very difficult outcomes. I don't think there's any question. It's going to be really bad in, in Minnesota. It just is. It's an expensive state to live in anyway. Um, I do agree with the overall tax package. I just think this mm -hmm. taking away the deductions for state and local is a bad idea. Bad plan. Yeah. Wendy's on the phone? No. Someone is, but I don't know who. Oh, it's not Wendy? It's not. Hello. Who's this? Hi, this is Alan. Hi, Alan. Alan, Tim Pawlenty, and Andy. Andy and Tim Pawlenty, Alan. <laughs> nice to be with you. I have a question for the governor. I would... Uh, I would uh, argue that there's a very short list of Republican names that could win a United States Senate seat in Minnesota. And I'm wondering why you're – I would think your name would be at the top of that list. And why are you not running for a U.S. Senate seat this year? Yeah, thanks, Alan, for asking. The short answer is Washington is, is dysfunctional. Um, there's a big difference between being an executive uh, if, you, if you're the governor of Minnesota, you can actually get some stuff done. If you're a senator or a member of Congress, you might vote on one or two important votes a year, and then you sort of uh, are expected to vote with your you know, red or blue team. Uh, and if you don't, you get into big trouble. But you just get a, can get a lot more done in Minnesota at a state and local level. It's less dysfunctional. And being an executive, a governor, you, you have a plan, you have a vision, you can twist some arms, and in six months you can get something done. Washington, you could be there six years or 15 years, and just bang your head against the wall. I mean, it's just a it's a dysfunctional place. And so I don't think being in the Congress is a great use of my time at this point. Well, I, I can understand you, your personal feelings, but I personally feel it would, would be better I mean, to, to have the Republican majority in the Senate. But, you know, it's interesting. I'm not, I'm yeah. not Tim Plenty. Well, you're nice to say. I appreciate that. But I, I was a legislator, and I was a governor. And, yeah, you know, again, being a legislator is an important part of the process. Don't get me wrong. But just being un the chief executive, you just have a chance to get a lot more done and lead bigger things and get them done in a shorter amount of time. Quite understandable. Who's going to run for Senate? Well, there's a, a woman uh, who on the Republican side named Karen Housley running against Tina Smith. And Tina Smith is the, you know, the appointed Democrat right. and senator. Karen Housley is running against her, and then uh, you know the race for Amy Klo against Amy Klobuchar seats a you know a, still an open question who's going to be running against her. Yeah, she's I, tough to beat. Isn't yeah, she? she'll be tough to beat for sure. I would imagine. I'm she sure. Would. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, well, thank, Alan, thank you very much. I will tell you, Alan, before you go, the, the the guy that that I that comes to mind for me is John Creasel. I think John Creasel did a really nice job and worked really hard, but he got so frustrated he wants nothing to do with it any longer. He just doesn't. Wow. He wants nothing to do with uh, with any of it anymore because he, he 
for the very same reasons Tim just talked about. You can't get anything done. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate because uh, you know everybody's got their view of how things should go, but you got to have an ability to not only just lead, but you got to be willing to to get stuff done. And everybody's so siloed now in their thinking and so yeah. siloed oh, in their political perspective that if you compromise or you know try to work something out people in the silos just go crazy and uh crazy and if you want better government i think you got to reward people who are willing to take some risks and get some stuff done it's all true it's a great question though alan I'm, i appreciate your call thanks for asking that question uh, thanks I, I listen all the time nice, Thank to, God. nice to talk to you that's why i have a job because of people like you <laughs> oh, <good>. <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much sir <laughs> all right thanks bye now yeah, see, I understand both sides of that, how we would want someone like you to be in the United States Senate and keep the United States Senate, uh, you know, in a, in a strong position. But it's really, you can't get anything done, can you? Well, every few years they do something consequential, Tom, but like this tax yeah. bill is a big thing. But, right. you know, that's yeah. a once-in-a-decade kind of thing. They're talking yeah. about once-in-a-generation tax reform, and it was needed right. overall. And, and, again, I supported the bill overall with the exception of a few of the provisions. But, um, you know, you, you go to Congress, and literally they spend half their time fundraising. So a lot of them yes. go, leave their offices. Right. They go over to these uh, non-government places, put on headsets. And they become telemarketers for fundraising. Um, and then when they're back in the district, they spend a great deal of their time uh, fundraising. Again, that's Im- important to get resources yeah. to get your message out. But they, the amount of time they actually spend working on legislation is a minority of their time. And, so and the environment is totally poisoned. I mean, y- yeah. y- you cannot – if you are crossover or try to get, find any room to get something done and you don't just stick to the script for one side or the other – you know, you're viewed as a sellout, a, mm-hmm. you know, a compromiser, a weak or whatever. And that is in a divided country with a divided parties. You've got to be able to have some room for people to find some common ground and get stuff done. Uh, but you could spend a, a 10 years in Congress and not you know, get anything consequential done. It amazes me, by the way, because he's not my favorite human being. As a matter of fact, I don't care for him at all. But I was shocked at how, how easily how readily they were available to get rid of, of Al Franken. They didn't fight for him at all. What was that? Why didn't someone fight for him? Well, I don't, I can't answer that. Uh, but, um, you know, they went, I think there was a large group of, of senators who turned on him and said, you know, understandably, yeah. we're very concerned about his behavior. Right. And that was sort of the beginning of the end uh, of his time in the Senate. The other thing I'd say about the Congress real quickly, unrelated, is they got $21 trillion in debt, and that's on the official debt. Right, on right. $3 trillion, yeah, right. $3 trillion of annual revenue. And if you do the unofficial debt, the stuff they don't count in the books, you know, most people would say it's 50 or $60 trillion. Right. And so they spend now uh, almost $4 trillion a year, and they take in $3 trillion a year. So for every dollar they spend, they don't have 30 cents of it. Or give or take, mm-hmm. and so think about that. For there's the money they spend <laughs> every buck, they don't have thirty cents, and all of us with our heads in the sand go along as if that doesn't matter. Never, you know, it's never going to make a difference. The country is drowning in debt, and we all pretend right. it's a non-issue. Well, we shouldn't. Andy, what are your what are your feelings on that? Because I know you've you've expressed your feelings before on. On the national, national debt. debt being at twenty-one trillion dollars, and it's actually really more like fifty or sixty trillion dollars. Um, 
It depends on if it's being used as leverage or what. Because if that's all leverage, then it's a good thing. But we can't really know that for sure unless we're, you know, the uh, head of the Department of the Treasury. Yeah, and I, it, I, I don't know, Tom, how you you can't really tackle it unless you're willing to tackle the structural spending or you get accelerated growth. And I think the Republican Congress, this is my own party, right? and the Congress before that and the Congress before that, they don't even try to balance the budget. They don't no, try they, anymore. No, it's it's not even their goal. Uh, they don't have a goal or ex- expectation they're going to even try to balance the dang budget. You know, I've uh, over the years run into some, some problems with people, you know, stripping equity from things I've done and all the rest of it. And I talked to you about this, as a matter of fact, on the phone, that the IRS has been very good to me. They've been very easy to deal with. I mean, they, they didn't do anything that they wouldn't have done for somebody else. That's not uh, what I'm saying at all. But it just uh, it fascinates me. The, the one part of paying taxes that bothers me is I really wish people wouldn't use my tax money to go buy votes from other people. That I really wish we weren't doing those kinds of things because it, it's so apparent to me. Or am I wrong? It sure looks to me to be a situation where uh, I'll just give you all of this if you vote my way, and what, and we don't have the money to give these groups and these people. Yeah, it really ought to be illegal to say i'll give you money if you vote for me because i mean that's absolutely if you if a politician went up to someone and said here's a hundred dollars vote for me they'd be put in prison but if they said oh if you vote for me i'll give you a hundred dollars later and call it welfare that's legal which is very strange to me one thing, uh, and I know we're running out of time, Tom. I think the future we got uh, like six minutes. Oh, the future around Five technology minutes. is going to change a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about yeah. our phones are going to be able to do a lot for our medical health in terms of running our own medical tests at, at some modest level. My phone can uh, measure heart rate and blood oxygen level. Soon, Andy, it's going to be heart rate, blood pressure. You can already run an EKG if you have the right attachment. They're yep. working on being able to have your phone run an ultrasound. Well, They're I mean, talking about being able to spit or bleed on your phone and run a full suite of saliva or blood tests. The original yeah. iPhone was like 10 times more powerful than the NASA computer for the moon landing, I think. We, yeah. have, we have very, very powerful what would be considered supercomputers 15 years ago that we're just you know buying – we b- drop them and crack their screens and throw them away. Yeah. It's actually kind of like, you know. But think of what this means for democracy going forward. If we could have people be empowered, not on everything, because you can't have, we have a representative democracy. We, we trust people we elect to go vote on our behalf right, right. so we can get on with the rest of our lives. But I think if, if we could have a more participatory democracy by people being able maybe to weigh in on more things directly using technology rather than just saying, That'd you know, we'll, we'll trust the politicians. So maybe there's five or six things a year where we could engage directly in democracy through technology rather than having to trust what I'd call uh, increasingly dysfunctional politicians. I loved it on the on the Simpsons. I can never remember the ne- – what's the neighbor's name, Andy? Uh, Ned Flanders. Ned Flanders. Yeah. Some little kid asked Ned Flanders, what are they, what do they do with all our taxes? It's tax time again. What do they do with all our tax money? And Ned Flanders says, well, of course, we have law enforcement, and we have to pay for that, and we have the uh, fire department, we have to pay for that. And then, of course, there are just this, people just don't feel like working. <laughs> <laughs>
I was wrong when I said 10 times, by the way. What? It's 120 million times. Yeah, yeah. What's 120 million times? Uh, an iPhone 6 is 120 million times faster than the Apollo computer. Really? Yeah. So we've made so, some strides. yeah, I'd say, yeah. We've made a few strides. We're pretty good on the technology front. I think a lot of the future is going to be not about the debate between more government or more markets. That's important. Mm -hmm. It'll always right. be with us, and we'll right. keep fighting you know, about all of that for that. But I think technology, while it has a lot of downsides, is going to help fix a lot of these problems. Because if yeah, you I can, for so. pennies on the dollar, take your own blood pressure, take your own heart rate, yeah. take yeah. your own saliva test, your own blood test, take your own EKG, maybe take your own ultrasound, upload that to your doctor – and, you know, a drone flies out a prescription, drops it on your front yeah. steps, and you do all of that for pennies on a dollar, Tom. Think about just as that example for the savings you could get maybe in the future, not now, but in the future in, in healthcare, which is one of the biggest drivers of our spending. You know, 50 million yeah. people don't drive 10 miles to the doctor. How many, you know, millions of gallons of gas is that right there? Yeah, there's a lot of, there's, I think, a lot of uh, promise in what's going to happen in the future on technology. I think so. Do you, uh, so... It's pretty clear that you're going to be the Republican candidate for governor. I, I, well, we have competition. So, you know, there's an endorsing yeah, convention and there's a primary in August. And the challenge with the primary in August in summer in Minnesota, you know, not many people show up. So yeah, the turnout right. is really low. And, uh, you know, you never know. You can't take anything for granted. But I feel pretty good about it. Does Tim Is Tim Walls the guy for, for the Democrats? they got three people running. He's a, a leading candidate. And there's also the state auditor, Rebecca Otto, and then there's oh, a, a Otto, legislator yeah. named uh, Aaron Murphy who's running as well. So he's got to get through their party's endorsement process or primary process as well. Does it look like it? Uh, like it's, the, the state is pretty split? I mean, there's the metro area, and then there's the rest of the state, yeah. and they're completely different, aren't they? Different, but the state you know, leans Light blue. So this is a Democrat state. There hasn't been a Republican mm -hmm. in Minnesota, listen to this, that's gotten 51% of the vote in 25 years, quarter of a really? century. Norm got 49% in a two-way race mm -hmm. uh, in 2002, yeah. I think it was. I got 46.7% in a really tough three-way race in a tough year for Republicans, 2006, when yeah. Bush wasn't popular. Yep. But no Republican has gotten 51% of the vote in Minnesota in a quarter of a century. And we have the longest unbroken streak of voting Democrat for president of any state in the nation. We haven't voted for Republican for president since Richard Nixon. Now, partly because of Mondale in '84. Yeah. But uh, so Mondale. it's a tough. It's a. It, you'd have to say just looking at it, you know, arm's length. The the advantage is towards the Democrats, but every once in a yeah. while the state will elect a Republican. Well, we'll uh, stay in touch. As I said, you you got to go get all dolled up at the barber, but. Uh, We'll stay in touch. We'll go out and grab some dinner with our, our right. wives. Thanks. As I said, our wives are good friends, and uh, I've known you before you were governor. I can't. We'll, we'll go out. We have nice dinners. We laugh a lot. It's it's a good thing. Um, stay in touch, and we'll hopefully uh, uh, have you back on this show, have you on the KQ Morning Show, and uh, see what can. You know, I invite all people on. They just don't show up. That's yeah, well, amazing. I'm happy to come on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's our, it's our pleasure. We'll be back. Tom Bernard Show. Did you know that 60% of people over the age of 60 are starting to experience cloudy, blurry, or dim vision due to cataracts? Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Eye Care. Whiting Clinic is best known for their fabulous LASIK results. You've heard me rave about them for years. But did you know they're also experts in cataract surgery? Yes, indeed. And I'm here to tell you about my wonderful experience having cataract surgery at Whiting Clinic. I'm at that age when my vision started to fade, so called up the folks at Whiting Clinic, and they helped me out right away. My cataract surgery was super easy, and thanks to the Whiting Clinic, my vision is top-notch once again. Whiting Clinic has the most advanced lens technology options, so 
I can see far away and up close without wearing any glasses. If you want to learn more about your options for cataract surgery and clearer vision, attend one of Whiting Clinic's cataract seminars. Call Whiting Clinic at 855-554-2020 to reserve today. Space is limited, so don't delay. That's 855-555-2020 to learn more about your cataract surgery options at Whiting Clinic. This is Tom, and I want to tell you a story about camping. A guy named Tim, his back pain, and his angry wife. You see, Tim went camping with his family, but he aggravated his recurring back problem a couple of days before when he was golfing with his buddies. His wife had to set up the campsite and do all the heavy lifting, and Tim couldn't do a whole lot with the two kids. Tim was not a happy camper. And neither was his wife. The following Monday, Tim's wife got him an appointment at Hopkins Health and Wellness Center, a DMR Method Clinic. Their team of physical therapists and chiropractors figured out what was really wrong with his back, quickly got him out of pain, and taught him how to keep it from coming back. And what did Tim say was the biggest benefit of finally handling his back problem? Happy wife, happy life. DMR clinics are a group of physical therapists, chiropractors, and allied medical spine specialists that can help you feel better fast. They have a 96% success rate. It's covered by insurance, and you don't need a referral. They have convenient locations in Hopkins, Woodbury, Rogers, and Blaine. For a free consultation, go to dmrmethod.com. That's dmrmethod.com. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, part two, hour three little news and information. Thank, uh, thank you again to uh, Governor Tim Pawlenty, former Governor Tim Pawlenty, running for governor again this year. We'll see how that works out. Uh, as I said, he's been a friend for a long time, so it's not a, poli- it's not a political party thing for me. It's, uh, I've known the man for a long time. Martin Screlly uh, wanted to serve out the remainder of his seven-year sentence at a minimum security federal camp, but that request was denied, and the 35-year-old pharma bro was transferred Tuesday to a federal prison in New Jersey. Screlly, the infamous former pharmaceuticals company head, convicted of defrauding hedge fund investors and manipulating the stock of his former company, will serve out his sentence at Fort Dix Federal Correctional Institution, a low-security prison located on a military base about 80 miles from New York City. CNBC notes that uh, camps are considered safer for inmates and are relatively more pleasant places to do one sentence, but says Screlly may have been ineligible for a camp since a judge ruled him a public danger thanks to, among other things, his offer of a bounty for a strand of Hillary Clinton's hair. Is this guy ever going to shut up? No, he likes the fame. He really he really does, doesn't he? Now, what, what was the increase on, uh, was it AIDS drugs? No, that was... One of those obnoxious lies that everyone was telling to make it sound worse than it was. Oh, so he didn't do... It wasn't an AIDS drug. It was a... It was an antifungal. It was an antifungal. had nothing to do with AIDS? Um, no, not directly. Well, why would they... I mean, uh, people with AIDS are more susceptible to the thing that it cures, but they're more susceptible to everything. But why do people do these things? Why do you have to lie about everything to make it worse than it actually is? To make you matter... And thereby, thereby more manipulatable. Yeah, but th- you got a 35-year-old guy doing seven more years in federal prison. He got what he deserved. Why did you have to try to make it worse by lying? Know. It was a toxoplasmosis treatment, which pretty much everyone has toxoplasmosis. It's just our uh, immune systems keep it in check. That's so, pretty amazing. Yeah, but um, the other thing that I've heard is that 
he did increase the price by, you know, a lot. Like a thousand times or a thousand percent or something. But I heard that it had something to do with, like, they're only charging insurance companies that much. So if you don't have insurance and you try to buy the pill, the price increase doesn't, you know, factor in. So basically, I'm not really sure. It's you know everyone's trying to spin it their own way to make themselves into the victim. Yeah, I suppose that is true. Uh, Castro is out as far as the, the Cuban government is concerned, ladies and gentlemen. People are asking questions about that. Uh, why did that happen? Because Fidel Castro was in charge. He was sitting in the big chair for from what 1960, 1959, 1960 on. It's been a while. Uh, until he died just a couple of years ago. The Cuban government on Wednesday selected 57-year-old first vice president Miguel Mario Diaz-Canel Bermudez. 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 Bermudez, probably. I think so. As the sole candidate to succeed President Raul Castro in a transition aimed at ensuring that the country's single-party system outlasts the aging revolutionaries who created it. The certain approval of uh, Diaz-Canel by members of the unfailingly unanimous National Assembly will install someone from outside the Castro family in the country's highest government office for the first time in nearly 60 years. The AP reports in what uh, the AP initially called an unusual two-day process, Diaz-Canel will officially take office today. The new uh, national leadership will be officially announced that day, today, the anniversary of the defeat of U.S.-backed invaders at the Bay of Pigs in 1961, so here's what to know. Uh, More on the process. The Cuban National Assembly has generally met and selected the president in one day. Its uh, votes are nearly always anonymous and seen as reflecting the will of the country's top leadership. Cuba's constitution allows for any member of the 605-seat legislature to be elected as head of the uh, Council of State, but Diaz-Canel had long been seen as the overwhelming favorite. The new president will take over for the 86-year-old Castro, who is stepping down after two five-year terms. Wait a minute. How long has Castro been dead? Um, Fidel Castro. How long has he been dead? The answer is... uh, November 2016, so about so he, five months. Uh, I mean, no, five be, months in a year. Yeah, 17 months. So I, I didn't realize that Raul Castro had been in power for, for almost 10 years. That I did not realize. Uh, the Candidacy Commission also nominated another six vice presidents of the uh, Council of State, Cuba's highest government body. The successor, Diaz-Canel, gained prominence in central Via Clara, uh, province as the top Communist Party official, a post equivalent to governor. There, people described him as a hardworking, modest living technocrat dedicated to improving public services. He became, he, he became higher education minister in 2009 before moving into the vice presidency. Most Cubans know their first vice president as an uncharismatic figure who until recently maintained a public profile so low it was virtually non-existent. Um, here's your problem. They're going to name this, uh, Bermudez or whatever the hell his name is. They just refer to him as Diaz-Canel. Uh, so the people aren't voting for him. Uh, I talked about the fact that one of my, a barber that I go see, not, I go to like three different barbers. A barber that I go see, uh, has a father who lives in Cuba. His father's a doctor and his father makes $30 a month. 
Um, I don't understand why there are people in the United States that are pushing for a socialist or communist government. Where has it ever worked? I, you know, there's a socialist government in Norway. Why is it working? Because of oil drilling. Where did they get the money to drill for oil? From the United States of America. So basically, it was a democracy that gave them the money, gave the socialists the money to drill for the oil that have made them wealthy. Right? It's going to be interesting to see what happens when their oil runs out. It's not yeah. going to be good, I don't think. I wouldn't think it would be too good. You're absolutely right about that. So, yeah, look at Venezuela, look at Cuba. I mean, it's a disaster. I don't understand why people love to do, oh, we've got to get this going. We've got to get, yeah, okay, whatever. Not saving much for retirement? At least you're not alone. A new survey finds that 42% of Americans have under $10,000 saved up for later years and will likely retire broke. CBS New York reports the 2018 poll by GoBankingRates.com found that 14% of respondents and 60% of young Americans have saved nothing at all. Among the most cited reasons were I'm struggling to pay bills, I don't make enough money to save, and I'm prioritizing paying down debt. Some ignorance of the saving uh, concept may also be at work, suggests Tom Gainer. It's Z-G-A-I-N-E-R. Zagainer. CEO of America's Best 401k. The amount of people who don't even know an individual retirement plan is available is astounding, he says. The survey, which polled 1,000 people from millennials to baby boomers, also found that women were more likely to have less saved up for retirement. But not all news was bad. 16% have $300,000 or more saved up, and 10% have between $200,000 and $300,000. Fortune reports. So what to do if you're behind? Motley Fool recommends saving even $50 a month will return uh, will turn into more than $124,000 over 40 years with a 7% annual rate of return. And the matching employer donations and 401ks can uh, create even bigger gains over time. On another hopeful note, two national studies found that roughly 33% of seniors increased their assets during the first 18 years of retirement, some by simply reducing their spending well, that's a big part of it, but I, that, that's pretty unbelievable that uh, 42% of Americans have nothing saved up for their later years. And I, I would assume that number is going to get higher because I really this, – this tax thing, this tax bill that the, that the Trumpians passed is really, really not good for people like Minnesotans, particularly Minnesotans because – you have New York, New Jersey. You have Chicago. You have uh, you know, uh, you have the Los Angeles area and the San Francisco area and all the rest of it. Um, Minnesota's nowhere near that big. We can't afford to take a hit like that. So I don't know what they're going to do about that, but it's just uh, that part does it scares me a lot. It, 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 it's uh, you can't write off anything that you used to write off as far as, well, up to $10,000. I shouldn't say not anything. Up to $10,000 on salt, uh, state, uh, you know, area taxes, uh, county tax, all of it. it. It just, the fact that you can't write off your uh, your property taxes has really already hurt. You know, the housing market, houses around the two hundred to $250,000 mark are fine. But anything much above that has taken a hit. There's no question about that. So we shall see in the long run what this is going to do. You all set over there, Andrew? Yep. 
All right. Was it, who was that? And so our guest called in early. I mean, we got five minutes, so if oh, you wanted to. Yeah, we can put him on. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Pete DeChat. Deshaw, I think. Is it Deshaw? Pete DeShot. Shot. DeShot. Okay, Pete. Like hybrid. Deshot heard around the world. Hybrid between French and English. There you go. That's actually true. My, my ancestors were French. You're right. Yep. Shaw means cat in French. <laughs> well, here we go. I'm getting an education from Andy and Pete. That's all I know. I'm getting uh, an amazing education. Uh, his amazing true story through the fire on July 10th, 2007, a NASCAR plane crashed into a house in a suburb, uh, suburban subdivision in Sanford, Florida. Now, Sanford, is, is that up in the panhandle? No, Sanford's just north of Orlando. Oh, it is. Okay. I love that area. So, yeah, yeah. It's right, right uh, near the, the Magic Kingdom down there. A, mo- a young mother and son died, as did the pilot, and a passenger. The fuel tank broke loose and crashed into Pete Deschat's home, exploding and killing his four-year-old daughter, Gabby. Oh, my God. That's horrifying, Pete. Do they know why, I mean, the fuel tank just fell off that seems like no a... no it wasn't like that it was um that there's an electrical fire it, the plane was not supposed to go up so it mm. and it is what it is they took it up and the pilots paid for it with their lives um you know it, things just happen bad things happen that's just all i can say no doubt about that you yourself sustained serious burns over 96 percent of your body while trying to find and rescue your daughter um I have always heard that the percentage of burns, serious burns over your body, plus your age, if it adds up to more than 100%, you're not going to live. But somehow you did, unless you were. Yeah, you, you actually got it right. I had a 132% chance of dying. Oh. And my mom actually called the doctor, Dr. Death, because every day it was say goodbye to him because his kidneys are going to fail. Or right. say goodbye to him just because he's going to bleed out. Uh, it, every day it was just another thing I was supposed to die from. But, yeah, God had a different plan. You know, Pete, it's interesting. Very quickly, I uh, several years ago got a call from a family that said this man was in a very serious car accident. He was rear-ended, and his car just burst into flames, and he had burns uh, over 90% of his body. Uh, his number, I think, was right around 130, pretty similar to yours. And uh, he wanted to use it. He's a big listener, and he wanted to, to, to meet me before he died, apparently. So I went to the hospital, and uh, we talked about that's how I knew about adding those numbers together, the percentage of serious burns over your body plus your age. And I went back several times and visited him, and it seemed he was getting better and better and better, and it was, it was very exciting. And then they were going to release him from the hospital. So the family asked if I would come to the hospital and be there the day he was released. And I said, absolutely. There's, I absolutely will be there. So I walk into his hospital room, and it was completely changed. It was, nothing was the way it was when he was there. And I said, well, where, where is he? I don't want to say his name, even his first name. I said, well, where, did, you, did you already release him? They said, oh, no, he died. He was getting better and better and better and better, but the numbers were just such that he just, they said, the doctor said there is no way he was going to survive. It looked like he was going to, but there was no way it happened. So in cases like that, it's almost always infection. Yeah. And in cases like that, once the infection hits, it spreads very, very rapidly and there's really nothing you can do about it. 
Pete so up. it's it's not so much just like you know the the burns. It's the fact that we yeah. don't have the resources to put them in a, a clean room. Unfortunately, Pete, do you have to live a very special life because because you had so many serious burns over your body? Are are there things that you absolutely must do every day to make sure that you you live as normal a life as you can? No, absolutely not. It's quite really? the opposite. Um, I'm like a star poster child for my my doctor. Her clinic's called Optimal Health Dimensions, and she said, Pete, if you can reach optimal health, then there's no reason everybody doesn't achieve that. Uh, God is really just, the miracle he's done in my body is astounding. We will take a break. Be right back. I hope you can hang in there with us. We'd love to have you for another segment. That's all right, Pete? Yes, sir. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Tom Bernard Show. Hi, this is Tom. If you spend any time at the lake, you know how important it is to have the right dock. That's why you should know about flow docks. Flow docks are rock solid with double bracing to eliminate side-to-side sway. They're completely modular so you can configure them to your family's needs or add on as your family's needs grow. And get this, you can install, level, and remove your flow dock without even getting into the water. You see, Flow's passion to invent a better way to make life easier comes through in every product they make right down to flow boat lifts that are quieter, faster, and effortless to install and use. Are you starting to see a pattern here? Flow is about making things easy. My friends at Flow also told me that hockey star Ryan Suter bought a flow dock and lift as he wanted the best for his family. See for yourself why they say they've been perfecting leisure time since 1983. See them at F-L-O-E-I-N-T-L dot com. Flow docks and lifts. A better way. I'm here with my real estate agent, Chris Lindahl, and after seeing what he did for me, I asked if he had something that would help our listeners. Chris, what do you got? We have something very special for KQ listeners. April 16th through the 18th, the Chris Lindahl team is hosting our SellerWorkshop.com series, where we're going to teach you how to net between thirty dollars to $60,000 more on your home sale. And the best part is it's absolutely free. So that sounds great, Chris, but what's the catch? Tom, here's what I'll share with you. The number one core value at the Chris Lindahl team is to be generous. I have a teaching degree, and this is my passion to educate homeowners in the Twin Cities on how to sell your house the right way so you don't end up leaving tens of thousands of dollars on the table going through the traditional real estate process. So go to SellerWorkshop.com for times and locations and to sign up for your free ticket. The Seller Workshops are happening April 16th through the 18th. Seating is limited, and trust me, they sell out fast. Visit SellerWorkshop.com or call 763-401-SOLD. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Our very special guest, Pete Deshot. Uh, the book is called Through the Fire. I don't uh, do any do any show prep at all. I do a morning show and this show, as a matter of fact, Pete. And I don't do any show prep at all so I can have a, a natural reaction to the information. And while we were in break there, I read more of your information. Uh, man, you've been through quite a bit, haven't you? It's a yes. But, you know... <laughs> Tragedy is, it's not like something you can weigh on a scale. Bad no. is bad. You know, yeah. mine was the airplane crash into my house. And, and I don't know if you mentioned it yet. Not only did my four-year-old daughter die, but while I was in a coma for five months, my wife left me. That was so the, yeah. I was abandoned. I, I actually woke up from that coma and I was literally blind because of all the scarring to my eyeballs. I couldn't uh-huh. see through it. So, yeah, it, it's bad. But, you know, somebody who loses a job or whose marriage is crumbling, that's bad, too. And it's, to that person, it's the whole world. So so your, wi- your wife was not at home when the, when the plane hit your house? 
She was, she, but oh, she, she got was. out of the house. I stopped and went back in because I knew oh, my daughter okay. wouldn't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, you, you did, uh, it, it's been pointed out that uh, your home exploded. It killed uh, four-year-old uh, Gabby. Uh, your yeah. wife got out. You went back in to try to help Gabby. That's why you were burned over 96% of your body. Now, have you? Yeah, I, I was three feet away from her, but fire is so loud. People, uh, you know, they think of a campfire and how nice and that is to enjoy. Fire, when it's raging, is deafening. It's like Niagara Falls, mm. and it was only about 12 feet away from me, and it's, you know, 1,400 degrees. That's like, uh, you can't imagine, and the, the smoke was just thick black so you couldn't see through it you couldn't really hear so even though i could hear her cries i couldn't tell where they're coming from right right um are you can you see now are you are you still blind or can you see now oh i had two cornea transplants at oh, johns did? hopkins and um I, if you don't know what that is they cut the front part of your eyeball off and they stitch on a, a replacement from a donor and they eventually pulled those stitches out. And I remember going in for that surgery and the nurse saying, oh, this will be the least painful surgery of any that you've had because I've had hundreds. And I thought, this is going to be great. I woke up from that and I said, liar. Why wouldn't I have thought getting your eyeball cut off would hurt? Well, yeah, if you think about getting, like, you know, yeah. a dust in your eye, yeah. yeah. It's, the eye's pretty sensitive. Yeah. Now, you have remarried. You have a young daughter. So yeah. there, there was a very, a really nice upside to this as well, but I do have to ask you because I do want to talk about to, about your your wife and I'll talk about your young daughter, but bring us back to that day, July tenth, two thousand seven. The family, are, you're just sitting around the house watching. Te- what were you doing? It was it, you know summertime, so the the kids were out of school. I had a ten year old stepson, my four year old daughter, so they were still in bed. I owned a, a window treatments business, so I was just on the phone with somebody who worked for me up in the office, and then something violently shook the house. You know, I, I literally thought a nuclear bomb had gone off. Oh, really? Um, and a se- seconds later, within seconds, there was a, another explosion. That's when the, the first one was when the gas tank hit the house. The second was when it exploded. Uh, and I just remember thinking, i got to get out now. And so my wife went first, and I went second. We were upstairs, and so she went down the steps. I went towards my stepson's room, who was coming down the hall to me. And since he was coming, I go, went ahead and went down the steps. But when I got to the doorways, when I stopped and said, i got to go back. Right. And so I got to the room where my daughter was. was in, it just happened to be right next to where the, the gas tank exploded. And uh, it, was, it was just pandemonium and chaos. What do you say? Did it surprise you that, that you were so brave or did it not you occur don't think you? about that you just don't There's think no about thought. that it's, it's just, just reaction yeah you know, it's, it's a parent's reaction i wasn't at all there's nothing cognitive going on that's amazing and i i suppose that would make tons of sense that you just do what you you do what you're supposed to do uh, i was physically fit i was at that time i worked out every day i could squat 500 pounds i could bench press 300 pounds easily and so in my mind, there was not even a question of whether I was going to get to her and get her out. I just didn't realize how thick the smoke was and loud the fire would be. Yeah, and that was immediate. I would imagine with the, uh, the tank exploding that the fire, the, the raging fire was almost immediate, was it not? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can tell you I have a pretty good idea what hell's going to look like. Yeah. 
Well, I don't know if you're going to be going to hell anytime soon, Pete. But it's, uh, uh, how old were you when this happened? I was 36. You're 36 years old. Uh, So you wake up from your coma. Uh, did you did you know that your daughter had not had not made it before you woke up, or when you woke up, you were told that you no longer had a daughter or a wife? No, I I, I knew right away. I, I mean, I knew even before I blacked out into the coma. I remember the the, the ride to the hospital and the ambulance, and I was like, as much as I love my daughter, if I couldn't get to her, nobody's going to. Yeah. And you know, waking up. I didn't find out till my wife had left me for several months. It was like three or four months because they were afraid it was going to hinder my healing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was one of the things that everybody knew but me. So I was like, why isn't my wife calling me? Why, am, why isn't she here? Yeah, that makes total sense. Do you think I'm giving her uh, as big a break as you can? Do you think it was just too difficult for her to go on? With, uh, I, I just don't, I don't know it, and it's not my place to judge anyway. Because right, you know, right. I, I was, I'm on my road; she's on her road. I can't imagine what would have been like going through what she went through. Right. So no, nobody has the right to judge her at all. Yeah, I, and that's that's exactly the re- response I expected from you, Pete, because you're that. Uh, I don't know you, but I've I've known you for about you know 15 minutes, but yeah. uh, you just seem to be. Have you always? Been a been a man of of faith. Uh, you you obviously as a weightlifter. I was a powerlifter myself when I was young, and people I don't think realize what that takes. To it takes do. a lot of a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. So you've always been dedicated to to improving yourself, improving your family. Um. So so for you to respond and say, look, no one can judge her, I can't judge her, you can't judge her, no one can judge her, that makes total sense to me. Because we haven't been through what she's been through, what you've been through, uh, hopefully. Yeah, get... we're all on our own road. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and which one of us is perfect? I, I love it when Jesus said, you know, he who's without sin cast the first stone. Mm-hmm. No, that's exactly and, and it. all of us are convicted under that. And you hope, you know, obviously Gabby didn't suffer a great deal. Hopefully it just kind of overwhelmed her. And and do you think about that? I would imagine. I I absolutely do. And when I was writing this book, there were many a times that I I was crying over just the thought of, because she wasn't on the bed where she was supposed to be. She was actually behind uh, a nightstand right in Mm. front of a window. And I can imagine in her four-year-old mind how scary it had to be trying to find a way out not being able to get there and then you know I she probably heard me come into the room calling out for her and then when I stopped crying out because I, I ended up blacking out from the smoke inhalation right there in front of the flames and when she heard me stop I can't imagine how scared she was yeah no, I can absolutely understand that so you wake up so you wake up and now you realize that you're not you're no longer married, and that was after how long? How many months? I, I learned that four months, I'd say, three to four months after I woke up. It was right around my birthday, and finally my dad let me know what oh, okay. was going on. And You know, it, it's tough, but I'd rather know the truth because yeah. you can't move forward if you're living in the past. 
Well, you kind of must have known, but the fact that she didn't come to visit you, you probably knew something odd was going on. Well, my stepson was burned just as badly as I was. Oh, he I survived. see. Okay. And so it would have made sense for a mother to be by her son. Yes. Yeah, so that was the so tale I, they told you at I first. really didn't know. So you didn't know at all. Uh, okay, so then you find out. You wake up, you find out. How much longer were you in the hospital with the knowledge that you no longer had a family? Uh, it was two more months after that, and I actually had to kind of scramble to figure out where would I go because you can't stay in the hospital forever. And I had, right. at the time they were releasing me, I couldn't walk, I couldn't see, I couldn't manipulate anything to feed myself or bathe myself or, you know, anything. So I needed some pretty intensive care, and if I didn't have a wife that was going to do it, you know, my mom was my best nurse anyway. And so I just asked her, Mom, can I come stay with you till I get on my feet? And naturally her response is, of course, yes. <laughs> What an amazing story. They, you were told by doctors you would not live, and if you did live, you wouldn't be able to see. You would never be able to walk again. They were wrong about all, all those things, from what I understand. All, all correct. All true. All true. Why do you think that, that was it because you were in such physically, I, you were just so physically so strong? Do you think that was a big part of it? I, I cannot give any credit to myself I, I know that there's there's a part of it but i would definitely say it's more god had a plan for me and it wasn't to end right there on that day on july 10th i can i can see it have you always been a, a religious person no i actually didn't i've only been a christian for like two and a half years um before the accident happened oh so you had you had so before the so like in 2004 you became a christian is that right? Yeah, 2005 maybe even. 2005 I, I, maybe. My my story of receiving Jesus is pretty incredible. I I ended up I worked for Schwann's Frozen Food, which I know it's big yeah, up in Minnesota. Absolutely. Yep. And then I I ended up leaving Schwann's to start my own window treatment company, and I was knocking on doors just like I used to do selling ice cream, and I was selling blinds, and I come to a pastor's house who invited me to church, and I thought, well, if it helps me get this sale, I'll go to your church, but. <laughs> Right. I ended up falling in love with Jesus Christ that, that day. And do you know why? What, what was it about that particular day you said, no, this is this is for me? I, I can't put my finger on it. I just felt a complete, sincere love that I've never felt. from It was a small church, like maybe 15, 20 people, and the average age was probably 80 years old. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just felt it, it was a sincere, genuine love I just haven't, haven't understood from people who are just meeting me so no absolutely do you think there was a reason for all of this do you think you became a believer a couple of years before this happened i i I am not smart enough to know what what god's plan is but in your mind do you think your conversion to christianity was was well i think his plan was always for me to be a a servant to him and a follower and a worshiper of him and Mm -hmm. you know i just think the road to it wasn't maybe the best road. I definitely had some rocky spots, but he took every part of my history and is turning it to good. It's like Romans eight twenty eight. He will turn all things to good, and that even includes the bad things. So I worked at Schwann's. I learned how to... I actually was the number two salesman in the company at one point, and there were like 8,000 guys working for Schwann's at that time, right. so it was pretty good. And so he's, he's taken that boldness that I 
used for selling ice cream and for selling blinds, and now I'm sharing Jesus with it. I'm, I go and I've shared this testimony in Pakistan and India and Cuba and Ghana, different countries around the world, and you know that's what he's made me to do. That's it's it's really fascinating to me, how people's lives develop. Um, do you? I have to ask you a question. We only have one more minute left here, unfortunately. Okay. Great talking to you, but when you wake up, the first thing you wake up in the morning, is there one thing that's always that you wake up and go, "Oh, that's right." Do you have to relive that every day when you wake up? No, no. Good. There, there is. There's too much good to focus on anything negative, and I can tell you that every morning I wake up, I'm saying, God, show me what, what I'm supposed to do today. Let me see the opportunity. I don't want to miss it. I think it's wonderful that you're, that you're able to continue your life. You, you got remarried. Where did you meet your wife? At a church. My, I was living at, obviously, I told you, at my mom's house. Mm-hmm. My best friend would drive an hour and a half to come pick me up and take me back down to church. And he spent six hours every Sunday driving me. And I met this beautiful woman there. I had no idea what she looked like. But her uh, her cousin, I think it was, was burned as a three-year-old. And so she did okay. a paper in college about all the care. And that's what got us starting to talk. And we ended up getting married. And I have to tell you, my little seven-year-old girl, uh, daughter always wants to say hi. So before you end this conversation, you got to let little Becca come and say hi to you. I'm ready. I'm ready for a little Becca, Becca. come here and say hello. Come on, quickly. You're losing your opportunity. Here she is. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Becca. How are you today? She She's acting a little bashful, which is very unusual for her. I understand. <laughs> that, that That's fine. I, I have a scary-sounding voice. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, no, I think there's something on Netflix that's oh, maybe okay. more important. <laughs> okay, I, not that I accept, absolutely. The book is called Through the Fire, Pete the Shot. It's D, uh, capital D-E, capital C-H-A-T is how you uh, spell Pete's last name. Fascinating story, Pete. Uh, you're a quality human being, and I, I it, quite admirable to get through what you've been through. Thank you for your well, time. Praise today. God. Thank you for having me on. It's our great pleasure. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tom Bernard Show.